everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast, the official podcast for MetalNexus.net. MetalNexus.net, where you can get all your news, music reviews, and interviews, and so much more. Head on over to MetalNexus.net and keep up with all those things. And keeping up with my co-host, Mr. Daniel Terry, how are you doing? Oh man, I'm doing great. I am uh, just had my first cup of coffee of the day hey, you at 8.41pm Central. All so. right. Life goals. I'm I'm living my best life right now. You know, I feel like I was living my best life uh, this past weekend. Uh, I got to sit down with our guest of this episode, Ryan Ober from the band Legia, if you remember them. Um, this is interesting. Um, so, Dan, you're familiar with Return to the Pit, I would assume. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so for those who may not know, uh, Return to the Pit, at least in Instagram form, uh, is a page that basically posts... Old old videos, some videos, but mostly photos from old hardcore shows in the early 2000s and so forth. Um, so it's really cool to see a lot of these crazy tours that, you know, a lot of people will be like, I was there. And then you see, like, some photos and it's, like, maybe 70 people, not, like, right, 2,000 yeah. people or whatever. But, you know, it's been really cool to kind of, as a, as a hardcore metalcore fan, to go to that page and just see, you know, some of these classic tours from, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And... Going back through the page, I ended up seeing one that had the band Legia on it, and when I started this podcast, I actually had been trying to reach out to Keith, the vocalist of Legia, to have him come on, because they are one of those bands, and sometimes, I would say probably like every half a year, we have someone from a band on that you haven't heard from in a long time, and, and you don't really know what happened, and there's a lot of the story that hasn't been told because the internet wasn't a thing and podcasts weren't a thing. Correct. I, th I think Hope's Ball was kind of that episode about a half a year ago. Yeah, I had to really dig down there, you know, uh, into into the past of like, okay, so this wasn't publicized anywhere, but uh, let's talk about it for a half hour. Yeah. Right. Um, so now we're here with Legia, and it was one of those things that upon seeing the thing, I kind of got the, the whole fascination of, oh, man, it'd be really cool to get one of those guys on because, honestly, I feel like they were always an underrated band. They were on Ferret at the time when Ferret was one of the biggest, you know, underground metalcore labels. And wouldn't you know it, someone tagged Ryan. And so I followed the tag just to make sure it was legitimately him, sent him a DM, and within a few minutes he replied back, uh, sent me his phone number, and we started texting, and... About two weeks after that, here's the conversation. So shout out to Return to the Pit, because without you, this would not have happened. For better or worse. <laughs> Dan, were you a fan of Legia back in the day? Yeah, I mean, really a blast from the past. I remember when you were like, I mean, not like, it's not like they, I, I don't know. Uh, not, I guess it's not long ago. But uh, just one of those early kind of Ferret Records bands uh, where bands were hardcore metalcore right i guess what we would call old school metalcore now um back when bands were just playing like eight different styles and styles and seeing what stuck you know and they were definitely and i have a confession i i've definitely been calling that band legia or legaya for um close to 15 years <laughs> i sometimes wonder like when it comes to certain certain bands like this uh if it's a a geographical thing of how you pronounce a band name. If it's a just whatever, I mean, I can think of a handful of other bands that like I've heard various different ways of people saying it. And I don't ever hear any band people being like, that's wrong. 
or other than uh, Jaden from Siler who put it into a song where he's like, oh, by the way, it's Siler, not Silar. It's always been for me just a my taking my best stab at it. Like what you know, because I I had a game uh, for the PlayStation called Legend of Lagaya, and I always just assumed that it was pronounced the same way. I think the only band name that I ever got a hundred percent correct was Zao, whereas everybody else called him Zao. Almost everybody called him Zao, and I remember being like, "No, the band themselves call they call themselves Zao." You know, that was like my claim to fame. My favorite thing recently was uh, if you listen to the Frankie Palmieri podcast. Uh, when the Zayo news broke uh, of Dan's episode, he was talking about it and just kept referring to them as Zao, and I was like, oh my god. <laughs> oh, I didn't even hear him talk about that. I'll have to go back and listen to that. Yeah, I think it was like episode five or six. It was after the week-long thing of the Static X thing. Um, he was like, man, those guys on their podcast, they just they, they get us all warm and comfortable, and they make us say the, the horrible things. Even though I don't, I don't think anything Scott said was horrible. I don't even think anything that Frankie said was horrible. Really, you know. I don't really think anything that anybody says on this show is ever horrible. Um, no. I will definitely say that. Obviously, in the world of that we live in, uh, the headline isn't always indicative of what actually was said. It's just a fragment of the sentence. But uh, we do we do live in a world where everyone has to push their you know their agendas and their or not their agendas, but their their websites and their wares and so forth and uh having advertisers and so forth uh, obviously those things matter to people so um I'm just appreciative that people you know routinely come to our show uh and check it out and maybe find things from it to to post on their news sites and so forth um so you know always appreciated whether it's blabbermouth loudwire p r p uh metal sucks metal injection. Uh, in some instances, alt press whenever they find something they deem worthy. But uh, no, this was uh, this is really cool, and I, I kind of wish you would have been on this because I know leading up to it, Dan and I, you know, I knew we were going to be steeped in you know early two thousands metalcore, which I, I think is you know definitely Dan and I's like sweet spot. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I, would... I had I, I had to work unfortunately that, and it was very last minute because I, I had planned on doing it pretty much all week and actually had questions written down, which is very uncharacteristic for me. <laughs> and meanwhile, I did this interview and didn't write a single fucking thing down, uh, which may or may not be evident. I don't know. Um, but I think, you know, this was just a really fun conversation with someone that I have only known for like two weeks, uh, but I've gotten along very quickly with, which is a weird sentiment I have been getting quite a bit uh, in the last week. Uh, just people telling me that they, they really enjoy the podcast and uh, how well I can connect with basically complete strangers so quickly. Um, I don't know. That's it's a They keep calling it a skill. I don't know if that's a skill. I think maybe that's just because I'm annoying and <laughs> I just like talking to people. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I just uh, – I don't take compliments very well sometimes. So it's a, it's a weird thing when people are like, you know, you're just so, so personable. And I was like, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's customer service coming out in me. I don't know. I know, because I'll text you and be like, hey, this conversation was really great. And you're like, oh, yeah. So uh, next week we've got <laughs> just like immediate immediate deflection. Yeah. <clears throat> Compliments, they're my weakness. I don't, I don't like hearing good things. I don't, try, I don't believe it. Well, speaking of good things, let's hear that interview again. Yeah. So let's get to uh, my conversation with Ryan Ober of Legia, and we'll talk to you guys afterwards. <laughs>
Alright, I literally have nothing written down because I figured should be able to bullshit for <laughs> on this one. <laughs> Seems like it'll be pretty easy, and I don't think there's going to be too much that I, I, I won't remember from our text conversations. Right, right. I know, man. I'm, I'm, I'm so bad at this kind of shit too because <laughs> I don't, I don't remember any of the facts. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, like, is like I was even looking at your Wikipedia page just to see if like there's shit I like didn't remember or something worthwhile. <laughs> and yeah. the Wikipedia page is even really thin. <laughs> Dude, the Wikipedia page half that shit is false. <laughs> oh, really? Oh my god, yeah. Like. It, it said that uh, some dude mastered one of our albums that I don't think he mastered it. <laughs> you don't think he and, did? <laughs> no, and he's like, he's a big name too, but I thought it was this other dude that did it. And then it says that this other kid's our drummer. I'd never even met whoever that is. <laughs> <laughs> even our Wikipedia page is Oh, that sounds, it, it all, it all seems to just be exactly as it should be. <laughs> right, right. Uh, all right, exactly. I'll uh, get this started and <laughs> see where it goes. So I have the pleasure of talking to Ryan Ober this morning, the guitarist of Ligia. Uh, and it's very fitting, I closed down the bar last night, and I have, uh, I'm not super hungover, because uh, I drank water before I went to bed. But uh, I couldn't think of a more Smart fitting guy. fitting way to start my morning than with a hangover talking to someone from Legia. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm well, man. I'm well. How are you? Um, hanging in there. This will be fun. I've been looking forward to this uh, yeah. since we, we started the Instagram DM into uh, the text messaging we've been doing the last uh, two weeks or so. Right, right. So... <laughs> The fun thing, um, when I started this podcast, I definitely I was trying to get Keith, your vocalist, on because I figured that dude probably would just have some crazy fucking stories to tell. Because, I mean, looking back at the band's career, you know, and I have said this with you a handful of times, you guys were at kind of that forefront of the early metalcore scene on a pretty well-established metalcore label at the time, like one of the one of the dominant ones in Ferret Records, and. It seemed like you guys were always on that that threshold of just kind of being that next big band along with the Atreves or the Bleeding Throughs or, you know, all of these other bands. And it just seemed like you guys couldn't get over the hump. And I and I always, you know, even in talking to my wife, it's like, how the fuck did this band just not not get going? And even in talking to you, you were kind of like, oh, man, you know, we just <laughs> – shit happened. <laughs> so, Dude, you know – I think uh, one of the main, like, the main aspects in that is that we were not professionals. <laughs> <laughs> we we were basically like a group of four G.G. Allens in a band. <laughs> <laughs> so there was there was just a lot of debauchery that like. I mean, I, I don't know. There, there's a number of reasons we never really got to that next level. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. There's, I don't even know what to say. I don't want to say too much and throw people under the bus. But <laughs> well, I guess let's let's kind of start maybe at the beginning of the the band. You know, were you guys? 
you know, a lot of times, like, you know, I've been had the pleasure of seeing a lot of bands, like, in their early infancy of touring and so forth, whether they be a local band that, that gets bigger and gets signed and so forth, or even smaller signed bands. Was Were you always kind of the way you were uh, as a band, or was that something that just because of the lifestyle of what traveling on the road affords you, i.e. free alcohol and so forth and party atmospheres, is that kind of which happened first? Was it always like you guys had fun and were partying and that was kind of the vibe you brought to your live shows? Or was it something that just kind of happened over time due to how the road can be? Yeah, it was definitely before the band started. Like Keith and I were always just kind of wild, you know, just growing up. Like I, I moved my entire life growing up I went to a bunch of different schools and just that kind of thing and like it was just chaos from the beginning you know so then you start this band and now you don't go to work every day and your job basically is just to hang out it's it's like uh I don't know idle time is dangerous <laughs> you know <laughs> and then of course being in bars every night and being around people where you start to meet people on the road even early on where you, you just make friends in different cities and stuff like that and then the next time you roll through like that person you know they'll take that night off the next day off from work and that's their night to get crazy you know, they're like, oh, these guys are coming through. I'm going to hang with my friends. I'll take the next day off of work. I've been saving up some money. We're just going to go all out tonight. And it becomes a thing where that is every night because every new city that you're in, your friend in that city, that's his night to get crazy. <laughs> you know, so like, what are you going to do? Uh, Well, I mean, it was kind of funny because, you know, I, I – had that uh I've had that luxury I guess of having a lot of friends who are on tour and you know sometimes it is nice as as I've gotten older where people are just kind of cool and content with like not drinking a million beers <laughs> and yeah. you're just having a good time hanging out but I will definitely say I've uh, been on the receiving end of a lot of like oh god why did I stay out so late I had one of those the other night with Tyler actually a mutual friend where I said I yep. would stick around until 11 p.m. after he was done, which would have been about an hour or so after he had some free time. And I don't think I ended up leaving until about almost 2 in the morning. And uh, I said I would stick around for a beer, and the beer turned into one of the largest cups, literally a beer I've ever seen. <laughs> and he just goes, well, you said you would stick around for one. I was like, yeah, I did. So, Yeah. But, I, you know, I, I think it's kind of the interesting thing, too, and something, you know, I hadn't really thought of until, you know, talking with Tyler. The thing sometimes I think that people forget is even though you do get to see a lot of people that you haven't seen in a while, I think the thing that kind of sucks, too, is that's the little bit of normalcy I guess maybe you guys get to get get to have while on tour because it's a very unnatural thing you're doing, you know, traveling day in oh, and day out to do this thing. For sure. And to see various people, it's a little bit of the normalcy that you don't have on the road. And I didn't really think about that until I was hanging out with Tyler the other day where it's like, you know, maybe it's been two to three days before he's seen anybody that he knows on tour. And that's got to be a little hard, too, and probably maybe encourages a little bit of the 
uh, abnormal behavior maybe or the excess in, in drinking and so forth just to kind of maybe feel something? You you become very disillusioned to what is real life, you know, because you're you're right. You're living in such a unnatural way, where not many people live that way. Where you don't have to be up for work every day, and you just have all this time, like, and you you don't see anybody really that's important to you like you don't really have many close relationships it's only with the guys in the band or or whatever relationships you develop with the guys in the other bands that you're on tour with so yeah you're absolutely right those times i mean it, some of my favorite times on the road were when we would be somewhere like texas or florida where there's a lot of markets that are very close to each other but still separate markets so you might have like a two hour drive one day, a one hour drive the next day. And if you happen to have a friend in that area and you can kind of go back to the same house every day after the shows for a couple of days, yeah, you do get some of that normalcy. And it's really nice. You know, kind of speaking to uh, some of the, you know, getting along with band people and so forth. I don't really think I've ever really seen how you guys ended up picking Ken to record your guys' first record. Because, I mean, I know he records stuff in general, but he's not really known for recording a whole lot of, like, other band stuff. Yeah, that whole thing was a beautiful disaster. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, Unearth, I think you and Unearth, like, obviously, Legia and Unearth, I think, would just get along famously for all the drinking shenanigans, but when it comes to just the, the business side of things, it, it kind of always kind of stuck out to me, because it's like, like I said, Ken is really proficient at recording and has, obviously, with him working with Fishman and so forth, like, he knows gear, and he's a gear person, so it would make sense that he would transition into recording, but around that time, and I would say even after the fact, he hasn't really done that much. Yeah, it was a that was a really interesting and fun time in our career or whatever because I think that came about because we had a, a manager at the time, Scott Lee, who puts on like Metal Fest, and he. Uh, manages the Acacia Strain and a couple other bands. I, I don't know if they're still still doing that now, but he was friends with Ken. Fest? What's that? I say, are you saying if they're still doing the New England Metal Fest? No, I mean uh, his uh, Crimson Management, his management company. I think he, he might yeah. still be doing that, but I think he, he runs, uh, he's like part owner or whatever of uh, Soundrink, the company that does VIP stuff. Oh, okay, okay. Well, yeah, he, so he was friends with Ken. They, they obviously, you know, went way back and he hooked us up with him to record the album. And it was, it was a crazy thing because Scott Lee had called us into his office one day and basically let us know that Trust Kill, I mean, not Trust Kill, uh, Prosthetic was going to sign us. And one of the reasons that they were going to sign us was because we were already paying for the recording of the album. So they wouldn't really have to cover any of that cost. Right. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't too much of a gamble on their part. They weren't really putting up too much. And uh, it was just like, we couldn't tell Ken that was the thing because 
it was, I guess it was a situation where Scott or whoever, whoever was it, everybody involved was just afraid that if Ken knew that prosthetic was going to sign us, then he might want to charge us more for the recording or something along those lines. So we had to kind of keep it quiet. And, but what ended up happening is that on earth's manager, I believe did something at ferret also. And Ken was kind of telling the guy, Oh, check out this band. I'm, I'm recording just something I'm working on right now. And the guy liked it and passed it along to the guys at ferret. And then Ken came back to us and said, Oh, guess what? Ferret wants to sign you guys. And we were like, uh, <laughs> uh okay. <laughs> and so we went from being a local band that nobody had heard of. We weren't, you know, I mean, we had played in bullshit local bands and stuff, but we weren't coming from other big bands or anything like that. Just a no-name band. And we went from being in that scenario to being in a place where two of the, you know, bigger labels in that genre both wanted to sign us, which, I mean, and we were kids at the time, you know, we were ecstatic, like, that's pretty monumental, you know, no-name band from Western Massachusetts, and then two of the bigger labels in the industry are sort of making offers back and forth to try to sign us. I think something that's kind of interesting, and I know we've kind of touched on it a little bit in our, our texting that we've done, you know, you guys were really in that pack of that Western mass or that mass scene that like new England area that was kind of really getting on with, you know, bands like shadows fall on earth, kill switch, you know, blood has been shed, like just a slew of bands that, you know, were signed to trust kill signed to victory signed to like all of these bands. And, you know, did it something we've seen looking back, you know, when you look at any of this, like the eighties and hair metal, you know, every label was just trying to sign whatever band could be that could potentially be the next guns and roses or Cinderella or Motley Crue or whatever. You were just seeing people grab whatever seemed like it could be the next thing from that same pool. Was there kind of that, that same sense for you guys back then? Like, Oh man, like all of all, all these bands around us are getting signed and, you know, getting on pretty quickly and, and getting on good tours and making a life of this, did it feel like it just kind of would be inevitable that if you put in the work and put something out that was, you know, on par that someone would come around just because of how much, how many good bands there were in the area that were getting signed at the time? I don't think so. I, I definitely see what you're saying and I could see how people might think that. But there were so many bands in this area that didn't really get any offers, you know? So I don't, I mean, that, I don't know. I don't really know that. I guess that could be the case, but it's hard to say just because there were so many bands around us that weren't really taking it to the next step of like getting on a label and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm not sure. Do you feel... You know, because obviously with the pseudo bidding war going on between Prosthetic and, and Ferret, what ultimately made you choose going with Ferret over Prosthetic? When we, when Keith and I first started the band, I, we had like two long-term goals and like pipe dream goals. 
it was like one was to to go on tour that was like this almost unachievable goal because i mean at the time that was like 2003 maybe sometime around yeah 2002 2003 when we first started and it wasn't like it is today where there weren't like booking agents and and management companies and all of this kind of stuff it was a really underground scene i mean strong for an underground scene but definitely not like it is today it wasn't as accessible to like be a band and do the band thing you know so we had two goals like one was to someday go on a tour and the other was to get signed to ferret so when when we had that option we were kind of like it doesn't really even matter what the offers are we're gonna go with ferret <laughs> it's because we looked up to so many bands that were on that label and we just thought they were just i don't know like a just such a cool label you know all the bands that they had they had every time i die and i think poison the well ended up on there i think madball did something on there in flames just like such a wide variety of bands where we played such a wide variety of genres inside of our music and prosthetic seemed more like just like a straight up metal label so we also thought we might just fit better on ferret just musically it says, and I was trying to to figure out if this is accurate or not. It says in in the wiki thing that you guys were recording that record in in like two thousand four, but it didn't come out until two thousand six. Yeah. What What took so long? <laughs> no idea. <laughs> what? Well, like, okay, so to for those that maybe you know that are listening to this, something you know, and I can point to. More like one of the classic examples in the last handful of years that I can really think of is, you know, a band like, uh, a band like It Dies Today. Uh, they had already recorded what was going to be their last record, uh, which was Lividity. They had had it recorded and it was done for a while, but it took like a year before Trustkill ended up putting it out, and they had already put out a single. And so all the fans were like, "Oh, a new vocalist, a new album. This sounds great. Can't wait to hear it." And then it just sat and. A thing, you know, you hear an awful lot, and, you know, I've been kind of hearing it on some podcasts recently, too, where someone will be like, oh, this new record, how do you feel about it? And like, I felt great about it 10 months ago when I turned it in. Yes. And, you know, there's yes. there's this thing where once the, the business side of things starts where a label will go, okay, so we want to put this out in quarter four uh, because we think it'll do really well because there's not a whole lot of releases coming out at that point that are going to, you know, you'll be able to stand out a little bit more. We'll be able to put, like, get a really good six-month rollout plan going and so forth. And, you know, there's just the business side of things, and sometimes I feel like that actually – while it sounds great that you like you're gonna have all this promotional material and all these things going on, music videos dropping and so forth, it at times feels like it actually cripples you right out the gate because now you're not excited about this thing that you spent all this time working on because by the For time sure, by the time it's coming out, either you've already road worn those songs out already, or maybe there's a whole new batch of songs that you've written in that time and you're like yeah, those songs are cool, but like now I want to I want to write and record and put out this new shit we're working on. And it's like I just feel like a lot of times you know, I I haven't really gotten to talk to too many bands about like just having a record be sat on for so long or seemingly so long and how you feel like it either helps or hinders 
you, especially with it being a debut record for you guys at that point? That was a constant problem for me personally, because you're absolutely right about like sitting on these songs for so long and everything. I I think that that's definitely the reason it took so long to come out is a lot of the business stuff. Like we were newly signed to this label. So like there was that whole back and forth thing. And then we had to wait for all like the contract stuff to go through. And then we're also working within Ken's time with unearth and whatever other recording stuff he's doing and all of that. There's also, like you said, the releases of other albums that they don't want to compete with. And there's a lot of stuff that goes into it like that. And these are also songs that this was the first band that I ever really like a real band that I played guitar in. So a lot of those were songs that were parts that I had written since I was a kid that, just never got used because I was never in a real band. So these are, this is stuff that I've been sitting on for could have been 10 years before that, you know? And by the time it came out, it was just, I don't know. I, 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 the, the record finally comes out. Not only are they old songs, but now we've been a band for a while and I'm actually becoming a real guitar player and getting experience as a guitar player so your abilities are advancing so much and I'm like, man, I can do so much better than what I did on that album, you know? And there was a lot of that. And, and there's, along with the waiting of something to come out, it can also work in the opposite direction where something is rushed, which happened to us on our second release because where whereas you know we knew that we were going to do this other album and things you know it was like we were in talks with ken and ferret and we had like a ballpark of when it was sort of going to happen and then all of a sudden it was like hey uh the only time that we can do it you guys have to get into the studio next month did you have material like, ready just to go? Like that. Not really. Okay. No. And so what happened was we also didn't even have a drummer at that time. Like I don't I don't remember what happened. We had so many people in and out of the band. <laughs> I was gonna say Keith and I. <laughs> I think it's funny too. Like that's the funny thing about your Wikipedia page too, is it like it basically just shows the four of you and doesn't really talk about how many people have really like come in and out. And it's like, I think even the list that there is, isn't even like, I feel like you can, because I mean like Tyler, for example, Tyler played a couple shows with you. He's nowhere mentioned on here whatsoever. So, I mean, it's Dude, one of those the, things. The person, like, the person they list as our drummer on Wikipedia is somebody I've never even met. <laughs> but yeah, man. So, so we lost, yeah. So we lost our drummer at the end of this tour and then we get the call like oh you're gonna go into the studio in a month and we only have like a week and a half to record the album so now i have a month to try to write this album like i had a couple parts here and there but i mean we were on the road non-stop we never took time off to write a record because we were just always on the road so we didn't really prep for it so now i'm i'm i have a month to write 
an album and I don't even have a drummer. So I'm, I'm writing these songs and calling up past drummers and, uh, my friend Nick Neumeister from Cincinnati, who ended up playing on most of Bad News, he had never played with us, but I called him up and he flew in and lived with us and just joined the band. He like flew his drums in and we worked on a couple songs. I showed him some songs that I was working on and then we were so crunched for time. I got uh, Pat Murphy who filled in for us for a little bit he came and learned the other songs that Nick didn't have the time to learn. And then we all just went in the studio and like made it happen. And I was really kind of bummed out about that because I mean, the first album was song, the first songs I had ever written in my life. And then the second album is songs that I wrote in a month, you know? And it's like, these are like my, my professional <laughs> my professional career that's getting put out to the world. <laughs> you know, what's, what's kind of interesting though, you know, and I was talking to a friend about this recently, uh, cause I knew he would maybe be excited that, you know, like, Oh, getting a band that I know we both loved and, and kind of have had conversations about like, you know, this band was really great and kind of really diverse between what limited catalog they had. And, you know, but we're always on great tours, always like out there. So it was always just kind of weird. It's like, Oh, why didn't this band ever go? But the thing that's interesting about bad news to me, and, you know, again, Ken working on it, so I feel like there's a little bit of familiarity, and that's why it sort of has some of the same uh, sounds, and it sounds the same as, you know, the first record. But the thing that's interesting, though, and, you know, you and I have talked about this recently, is just, you know, you guys, between your recorded output, were ever-changing, and... You know, I kind of didn't know the the story that, you know, you were just kind of very haphazardly thrown into writing bad news, basically. But do you feel like that actually worked to your advantage, like not having to overthink any of the stuff and just kind of writing based on what you thought actually was good? And that's why bad news is a solid record start to fi like start to finish because you weren't trying to make maybe make it sound exactly like the last record. You didn't have time to overthink. You just had to go. Yeah, yeah, I think so to a certain degree. Um, and it's also, there was a number of things, uh, a number of things that sort of led to it sounding so different. Like on the first album, we were a five piece. We had two guitar players. And then like very, you know, shortly after the first one came out, we went down to a four piece. So while writing Bad News, I didn't want to write stuff that couldn't be played live. So I didn't want to write like intricate layered guitars and, and stuff like that. I just wanted everything to be very solid and sort of powerful and punchy, I guess. And, uh, and as far as like a lot of people complained about how different it was from the first album, but we never set out to be a specific type of band. Like that was something that Keith and I always wanted to do from the beginning was really just play whatever we were feeling at that time. We never even said like, Oh, let's write, let's write a, a metal song. Oh, let's write a song with a chorus. Let's write, like we just would jam and I would write stuff on however I was genuinely feeling. And I'm kind of all over the place as a person. So I just feel like that came out in the music and 
on the first album, there was a lot of heavy subject matter with, you know, like breakups and this and that. Where then we go out on the road for years and that that was our new our new life was like just a nonstop party that with the upsides and the downsides which are all on bad news but like Keith always talked about that like I'm not going to write more breakup songs because I'm not going through a breakup like I'm this is what I'm doing right now so this is what I'm writing about and and that just came out in the music you know Something that I, I've kind of touched on quite a bit on, on this podcast throughout the couple of years that it's been going, but I just I can't help but think of just how interesting it is, and, and I feel like it affects everyone completely differently, even though it's a shared experience, but, you know, in talking to and looking at a lot of the bands of this time, like, you look at a band, like, in Every Time I Die, you look at... <sighs> Like, a guy's in Atreyu. Like, you look at, you know, even something, like, around this area, like, Still Remains or Haste the Day. Like, all these guys and all these bands get signed so young. Like, you know, in your late teens, basically. Maybe your early 20s at the absolute latest. And something that, you know, I, I look at now as a mid-30s person is just, like, I know when I was that age, I thought I knew a lot. But honestly, I didn't know shit. And the thing that kind of becomes interesting to me is thinking about being in a person like your and from your perspective of now I'm signed to a label who expects a product out of me. I'm responsible to so many people to make money off of what I'm doing. And I'm still mm -hmm. growing and learning as a person who's now thrust into this very unnatural set of circumstances that most people will never understand what it's actually like. What does that do Dude. to you as a person? I was a fucking idiot <laughs> like a straight up idiot and that is probably my biggest regret looking back on all the time in the band was not not that I took it for granted but I just wish I had taken things more seriously like I very much just lived in the now you know, like moment to moment. I, I was never thinking about how serious it all was. It was just like, this is what we do. This is what we always do. This is what we will always do. You know, like, it, like interviews and just everything. I never took anything seriously. <laughs> and I, I, I have so much regret about that. And I have a lot of regret about a lot of the things that we did, like, even on tours, you're right. Like a lot of people did depend on what the band was doing and we just fucked off the entire time. Like we've almost been kicked off of so many tours that we were on big tours, big, big tours. And we've been kicked off of, you know, management stuff. We've been kicked off of booking agencies. We ruined everything. <laughs> like every opportunity we got, we ruined. <laughs> were you were you aware of it in the present? Maybe how detrimental your behavior was, or did you like? You, is it more of a thing? Like, were you like, "But we're going to be doing this. We're untouchable." 
I, I don't know. I think maybe it was a mixture of both. I mean, Keith and I both on like a serious level, like have serious drug and alcohol problems. You know, I think like we both like <laughs> it's on those <laughs> like, records. Even, yeah, yeah. Like you know, we've both been to rehabs and detoxes and whatever, done the whole the whole thing. So you're not in the right frame of mind when you're living that life, anyways. So I don't even think you you really care. You're not really thinking about the outcomes of your actions. You know. And we also, I don't know if it's necessarily un, that we thought we were untouchable, but we definitely just thought, who gives a fuck? We're going to be doing this with or without any of these people anyways, because this is just what we do. And that's what we did. Like, we were always on the road. If nobody wanted to take us out, we would just go out by ourselves. The first time we went to Europe, Ferret told us, you know, you're not going to Europe yet it's not a good time. We have a plan. Like it's going to be in two years and we're going to do it this way. We're going to do it that way. We just networked on like MySpace or something, found a kid that would book us shows, bought our tickets and flew to Europe. We're like, we're not, we're going to go right now. <laughs> Cause that's what we want to do. We want to go there and come to find out the kid that booked us over there was like this 16 year old kid. Two days into the tour, he had to go back to high school. And we're just like <laughs> make, making our way around Europe. Like, what the fuck are we doing? <laughs> that it's just always that type of shit, you know. Like we're just we just go. That's what we do. <laughs> you know, it, it is interesting though because I I feel like that's something that. It's not that it's missing now from from the hardcore scene or even music scene in general, but I feel like there's just – I feel like now everyone – everything is handled so exactly that you don't see right. bands just doing it. And I think a lot of it too, you know, and a thing that sometimes I feel like the old man get off my lawn shit kind of person, but I think there's, you know – those of us who lived around when MySpace was was the king, the only social media site, basically, and what it did for bands, it was crazy to see how it connected everybody across the world. But even the other thing, too, is we were still in that weird phase where it's like the internet wasn't what it is now. We didn't have cell phones to the level that we have them now. So we weren't connected right. as much as we are. So a lot of the bands that had that DIY ethic like you guys did, and a lot of bands did... You just, you just did shit because it's like, I don't know if I'm ever going to get this opportunity, so fuck it. Like, I'm going. Exactly. I'm going to do this thing. Exactly. And I feel like that's actually – it's weird because in some instances you hear a lot of bands like Josta talks about it all the time on the Hatebreed thing. Like, oh, we went and did all these shows, and looking back, maybe I shouldn't have because we played to like 70 people. But at that time, it's like you never know if you're going to get this opportunity and you're trying to build your band and your brand and all this kind of other stuff. And it's like, it was like the wild, wild west. And it's kind of weird to think about a thing where it's like, it almost seems like you would have been damned if you do and damned if you don't like. Definitely. Definitely, man. And that, and that was also Keith and I's outlook from the beginning too, was like, we're going to do this. We're young. Neither of us have kids. Uh, 
this is the time to do it. We'd both been in local bands where like, you know, half the people don't really take it seriously or whatever. And him and I met and started this band and we were like, we're just going to ride it till the wheels fall off at, at any cost, at any cost. We're just going to go. And that's, that's one of the reasons we had so many people in and out of the band too, is like if somebody came in and, and couldn't keep up or couldn't, you know, wouldn't make the sacrifices or whatever. We're just like, all right, you're out. Somebody else is in because we're going. Like Keith had a, a scholarship to Springfield College here in Massachusetts. That's like an Ivy League school. And he just didn't go because to do the band thing. Our drummer at the time was also going to school and he quit school to do this too. I was like managing a tattoo shop or something. I, I never made it to school, believe it or not. <laughs> but that was just, that was just our attitude. It's like, I can go to, you know, he could go to college later. Like you can't do this later. So that's what it was. And like, like I was saying before about it not being, it wasn't as accessible as it is now. I feel like that was really the sweet spot as far as the internet goes, because there there was just enough connectivity to make it happen, but you still had to put in some effort. So it sort of like weeded out, you know, a lot of the people that weren't willing to put in the work. Most definitely. Like, you know, like there was no, there wasn't even GPS when we first started. <laughs> Like late, later on, you like, you know, you could get a Garmin or something, but there was no GPS on your phone before Map we West. left for tours. We, <laughs> yeah, we would go on MapQuest and, and map from venue, from home to the first venue, that venue to the next venue and so on for the entire tour. And we would just have a binder in the van of all the directions. But what would happen is after the show, we'd all be shit faced somebody would invite us back to their house for a house party. We'd go to the house party, wake up the next day and have no idea where we were. And now these directions are useless. <laughs> I can't tell you how many things I've done to go to shows or whatever with MapQuest. And then obviously it doesn't tell you if there's construction on something or something shut down or whatever. So mm -hmm. how many times you'll go to something and then once you have to be rerouted and you're like, okay, these directions are completely fucking useless and I have no idea how to get where I need to go. Exactly. So often, man, when you're like halfway across the country, you're just like lost <laughs> You know, on a dirt road somewhere. You know, we've, we've kind of touched a little bit on, on some of the touring you've done and it's kind of interesting too because, I mean, sometimes you're either playing with you know, someone like in Acacia Strain, who where you're going to obviously be the, the way, way lighter band on that bill, or even right. playing with some other bands where maybe you're the heaviest band on the bill, or somewhere in between. Like you just never really fit in any necessarily anywhere, but you fit everywhere, which is kind of weird. Yeah, but right, right. The, the jack, thing, jack of all trades, master, master of none. none. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> What's interesting about that though, and you and I kind of were touching on this uh, over the last week or so. You know, with none of your with the, with between uh, your ghost is a gift and bad news, and kind of subsequently what would end up becoming, I guess, your last record, uh, Palms Welcome to Palm City. You know, 
the sound kind of was ever changing as we were kind of talking about earlier. And, you know, with the fact that you never really had a counterpart band that was exactly like you, I guess Every Time I Die might be similar. However, they hadn't really I'm trying to do my, my timeline right now. I, I think Gutter maybe would have just come out by the time Bad News was coming out. I think so. So you didn't really have a band that was kind of doing singing, kind of tongue-in-cheek, kind of witty lyrics like you guys were doing. And, you know, a band that we were kind of touching on was Poison the Well, and we had talked about them a little bit earlier. But I kind of feel like, you know, your guys' career sort of does mirror more Poison the Well than it does Every Time I Die or any other band, any of your contemporaries, in the fact that everyone loved, you know, Tear from the Red and Opposite of December and so forth, and those are landmark seminal albums. But Mm -hmm. I think it's later on in their career where they got more interesting to me as a fan because they broke away from everything else that was going on and all the carbon copies that had come out since. And I feel like you guys are kind of always doing that too, where, yeah, we're, you know, on the first record, yeah, you can put us with all these other metalcore bands and it makes sense. Now we're kind of doing this kind of bluesy, you know, hard rock, but still has a metal tinge to it and so forth. You know, I guess more prototypical metalcore at that point, which wasn't really as pronounced as it became to then even what you did on Welcome to Palm City, where it's like, you never really could be pinned down to any one genre, but I think it's that growth that was really interesting from you guys. It always made it seem like you were ahead of any of the trends that were happening. Did it feel like that, or was it just kind of a lot more of what you were saying earlier, where it's like, well, we didn't have to, <laughs> we didn't have time to do shit, so this is just kind of <laughs> a snapshot, literally, of the two to three weeks I had to write something. Yeah, I think... Uh... I think it was all of that. Like we, we listened to a lot of different types of music also. So we had a lot of different influence when it came to writing. And it's funny you say that because Poison the Well is definitely a huge influence. Like that, they were one of the few bands that was doing like real heavy music with breakdowns and stuff like that, but also singing parts. Not many bands were doing it at that time. Um, yeah. And I, I totally agree that they became, they, they started to find, I feel like they started to find their footing around tear from the red. And then you come before you is when I feel like they really found out who they were as a band. And it it's depressing to me with Legia because I feel like Welcome to Palm City was sort of that for us where we were like, oh, okay, like this is who we are. This is what this is what we belong doing. You know, where we like, I feel like we really started to find that balance and make sense of it, of like the heavy stuff, the intensity with the singing and all of that were on the first record. The songs were just collections of parts. It didn't make sense. You know, where at least on the second one, the songs had some, some sort of structure and made sense musically maybe. And I feel like on the third one, it was a mixture of both. It had like the seriousness and 
sort of like raw emotion that the first one did, but had the maturity as far as songwriting goes that the second one did. And we really started to like find a way to blend everything together where you could go sort of song to song. And it, it sort of sounded like the same band or on the, as on the first record, they were, those songs were so different, so different. And I, th- I think, I don't know. I'm not really answering your question. I guess to sort of answer your question, like, as far as playing with different bands and stuff and our stylistically, how did we match up? We tried to use it to our advantage. Like we would take out a band like uh, a loss for words and sort of play more of our melodic type of stuff. Whereas if we went on a tour, like we did a tour with a full blown chaos, the Tony Danza tap dance extravaganza, the Acacia strain, and I don't remember if anybody else was on that, but on something like that, we could just play more of the heavy stuff. And so it worked to our advantage in that sense that we could kind of play to the audience, but definitely a disadvantage in that we weren't heavy enough for the people that liked heavy music. And we were too heavy for the people that liked more singy shit, you know? And some what's up oh no i was just gonna say do you looking back and look in and all the bands you mentioned i mean i just had ray on recently uh and he's obviously now in a, in a newer band and Casey strain still going he's obviously obviously in different iterations than when you uh were touring with them and you know it seemed i just you know preparing for this i, I couldn't the question i kind of kept coming up with is do you feel like if you would have come out around now or I just, I, I couldn't even, I still can't figure out how to really ask this and, and get it to fully encompass everything that the question deserves. But I guess in short, seeing how some of these bands are still going, seeing how other members have adjusted to being in something else, uh, you know, like with, with Ray going from full blown chaos to now, uh, to what he's doing in brick by brick. But do you get a sense of maybe if we just could have stuck it out that maybe we could still be, you know, one of these bands still all these years later growing and still having a fan base and, and maybe in an, even in an instance like a, a Every Time I Die, really hitting your stride now 20-some-odd years into a career as opposed 100%. to having... 100%. Yeah. 100 percent man (laughs) it's so different now like for so many reasons uh i think that the whole the genre as a whole has gotten so much bigger so like fans are actually making a living now whereas back then us and even a band like the acacia strain like everybody in these bands sort of lived on a per diem of like five to $10 a day. There was, there was no money to make really. Whereas now I, I, I don't, I don't know. I feel like the shows are a lot bigger and it's just more of a thing, you know? And I, I think that if we were still together now, we're a lot older and we've had a lot of time to reflect on all the mistakes that we've made just 
career wise and musically that yeah i think that we'd we'd be doing pretty all right if we were still together today so the the band breaks up and Twice. <laughs> yes so the band breaks up and you know this is before and this is kind of why i love doing these kind of interviews or whatever with bands like yourself or bands from or people from bands like yourself in the sense that the internet didn't really exist there wasn't a whole lot of mediums for bands to be oversaturated with press and so forth so when a band kind of went away they just went away and you know, it's been very serendipitous uh, this last couple of weeks. Have Heart broke up, I think, if the timeline is correct, pretty much right around the exact same time you did, uh, officially announcing the we're done, the hiatus and so forth. And they just announced, you yeah. know, obviously that they're coming back to a lot of fanfare. I don't feel like you guys ever, obviously, when you, either time you broke up, I don't feel like there was this big monumental, we're, we're putting it to rest, this is going to be the last show. It just very much kind of, I guess, like the rest of your career, it just happened. And <laughs> yep. it, like with, and it was what it was, and there wasn't really much said about it, and those that were affected by it were affected by it, and those that maybe had no clue had no clue. And it's very weird to see kind of how unceremoniously <laughs> everything just kind of ended and then got picked back up and then very quickly again ended again but i kind of had wondered you know obviously welcome to palm city came out and is your last anything recorded but is there anything else that like legia music that had never that was being worked on maybe is in demo stages that still hasn't ever seen the light of day yeah there's a few things um, they never will, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you don't see you get like you and Keith and maybe so a crew of other people doing at least another one off thing and just being like, Hey, you know what? Fuck it. Like we're going to do it because we want to, and we want to have fun. And if you guys want to, sh like if people want to show up, fuck it, come out and have, have a good time. It's a possibility. Uh, yeah. Like as far as they're not ever really being a official we're done announcement. I think that was one of our biggest issues as a band was that we were not good at self promotion or any of that. Like, so that's, that's how everything was. Everything just happened, you know, like there was nobody really putting out official shit for us like we weren't really on our myspace or on our facebook or we didn't even have a facebook until right before we broke up which was you know bands had already had facebook's for years at that point the only thing we had on there was some fan page that when we were working on palm city we got in contact with the kid and we're like hey can we use this <laughs> can we make this ours and he was nice enough to give it to us, but even then we weren't on there posting shit, you know? So, I mean, I don't know. Like there's, there's still people asking if we're going to do another album because they really liked your ghost as a gift. It's like, yeah, we, like we did, we, we put out another <laughs> album, we broke up, we got back together, we put out another album and broke up again. Go check them out. <laughs> 
is it disheartening like, to nobody... have is it disheartening to have people not it's just it your band is such an anomaly because to me because like i said it it existed really before the internet became what it is but at the same time there's the internet now where people can find information as to there's other records and and kind of what happened to the band but it's still it's just i mean like you know it's it's just funny because it's like i started following that return to the pit page very recently and then i saw them as i was going through i saw photos from like 06 or whatever of you guys playing and then someone tagged you so then i was like what you know i've always wondered what the fuck has been going on with those guys because like you just said you're pretty terrible at social media (laughs) and so there wasn't a whole lot of explanation from your end even now where it's like hey guy like just even there are band pages like my chemical romance hasn't been a fucking band in almost a decade now but they still somewhat regularly post things on their social media you guys <laughs> never really have, or at least not even like a fixing a bio where it's like, we were a band, we still may be someday, but we're not now, currently. Nothing. And it, it's like, <laughs> there's there's not even that. And it's just, it's so weird because it's like, it just feels like the door is always open, but it's not. <laughs> and it's such, as a fan, it's so weird. Like, in this day and age where you have so much information about a band, so much information about the people in a band and can find what they're doing or what's going on, even if it's like I'm doing something completely different or I was in another band, there's just not that yeah. for any of you. And it's so fucking weird. Like even to the point when I was trying to find Keith a couple of years ago, I heard a rumor from a couple of people who were somewhat tied to you. Oh, I thought I heard he died. And it's like, well, how, how the <laughs> fuck do I not even find that information? Like you're such an anomaly in this day and age, it, it kind of is very interesting to me. Yeah, man. I mean, I don't know. I, mean, I guess it's like I was saying at the beginning, where we were just like a band of Gigi Allens, <laughs> where like we just we just wanted to we just wanted to rock, man. That's it. Like we just wanted to play music and and do all that shit, and we didn't really care about the business aspect. I think if we just had, like I said, we had a a manager for a very, very brief moment. Um, I think that things would have been a lot different for us if we did have somebody on our team that sort of handled that sort of stuff as far as like promotion goes and things like that. And again, that's one of my biggest regrets looking back on it all is that I don't know. I, I sort of feel like I just squandered this opportunity in a way. And I wish I had taken things more seriously and sort of done more with it. But I don't know. Hindsight is twenty twenty. you know? Kind of two questions from, from listening to you say that. Do you feel that ferret – do you feel maybe opportunities are squandered on your end or do you feel like maybe it was more of a thing where the label maybe didn't see as much potential in you as other bands on the label and just didn't put, and you kind of were put on the back burner? I think a lot of times people just got sick of our shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> um, I mean, that's definitely one of the things is that right around the time 
that Ferret took us on, they were also taking on a few other bands that were like very well established and much, much bigger. Like, I think that was right around the same time that they took on like Madball and In Flames and stuff like that. So we were not as much of a priority to begin with. And then what little interest they may have had in us, we sort of fucked off. So just little things like they, we did a a video for this song on the first album. And then they had put the video on the sounds of the underground DVD and they wanted to push this song, but we didn't want to play that song live because when we played it live, it just was very flat. It like, it was kind of boring. It kind of dragged on, you know? So you don't want to really play a song like that when everything's energetic and then you play a song and it just sort of kills the rest of the set. So just little things like that where they're like, no, this is going to be your single. And we're like, no, we're not fucking playing it. <laughs> a, a lot of stuff like that. Um, kind of adversely, did anyone ever hit you up to, I mean, that scene was so incestuous. I always talk about how the mass scene and the new England scene as a whole, it kind of was so incestuous having members float in and out. I'm kind of pleasantly surprised that no one maybe tapped you to, to fill in like in a touring like setting, like, Hey, like we need a secondary guitar player. We're only a four piece like yourself, but like, uh, we wrote a new record and we have a lot of extra parts. Like we need somebody else. Like, were you ever tapped to, to go join another band, at least in a touring setting? Definitely. Um, there was one point in time when the Acacia strain had asked me to join just we were like, like we've known them forever, like since the very beginning. I mean, we all live like you know just towns away from each other here in Western Mass. So they had wanted another guitar player live, and they had asked me. But it was this sounds so ridiculous, but it was like too professional. <laughs> they were like they, they were like a real band. <laughs> I mean, they're they're, like, they're they're great. You don't like, don't get me wrong. You know, they're they're a great band. They have a great career, but it, it was just more of like you know, DL is gonna write all the music, and we do this and we do that, and just very professional. And I was in this band that was so much smaller than them, wasn't headed at all in the same direction that they were. And it would be foolish for, you know, 99% of people to turn that down to stay in this other band. But this other band was like my creation where I wrote all the music and I was having a blast, you know. So I didn't end up doing that, which would have been a much wiser choice looking back. (laughs) Um, There was another band the mongoloids i don't know if you've ever heard of them heard of them don't Um, know much of their music they're like a hardcore hardcore band from new jersey i believe and i used to talk to their singer greg here and there and he had asked me to play with them 
but they were they were all straight edge uh-huh. and <laughs> i was very much so not straight edge and i i was like thinking about quitting drinking at the time and i think this is when we were Legia was broken up the first time and i really thought about doing that cuz i really liked that kid a lot he was like a really nice guy and the band was a good band and it would have been really good for me to be around people like that at that point in time but for whatever reason it it didn't end up panning out um i don't really remember what happened i also did i filled in for a little bit in my friend colin's band it was called dick move it was like a just straight up thrash band um what he he plays he plays in a number of bands. I think he, he plays in Death Before Dishonor. I think he fills in for like 100 Demons and some other bands. And he just wrote all these thrash songs. And it was like just a, a really fun sort of side project band. And I played with him for a bit. But I was like going deep, 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 a deep dive into the drug and alcohol <laughs> realm so i ended up sort of fizzling out of that which was another stupid move because he he's a just a really nice guy also he doesn't doesn't drink or do drugs or anything and he'd always be like dude cut the shit like (laughs) get your shit together (laughs) so i should have stuck around with him but i don't know i guess i just have a knack for throwing away opportunities Kind of in wrapping up, um, do you are you like do you still jam at all or like are you is there stuff that you have worked on or any songs like maybe not even like something that sounds like Legia but just anything in general or when you kind of quit the last time it almost kind of seems like you know you you kind of stopped doing music as a whole. Yeah, I I don't. Aside from filling in for my friend's band, like I was just talking about, I have not even opened my guitar cases, my electric guitars, since the band stopped. But I've played my... The the only thing I play is my acoustic. Like, every time, both times that the band broke up, that's all I would play, which is why I was so psyched on Welcome to Palm City because I had just been playing my acoustic, which really makes you, you you don't get by with like chugs and open notes on an acoustic, you know, you kind of have to play the thing. (laughs) So there was like a little more going on musically on Palm City, but yeah, so that's all I've been playing. I've been writing songs for a long time that are just total bummer songs. It's like really depressing shit. shit. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you could say that, like, in in that sort of vein, that I might do something with eventually. Um, I'd also really like to get into doing movie soundtracks. That's sort of what I would hope to do one day. Um, I just want to play music that evokes some kind of feeling, you know? So that's kind of what I've been working on. Whether or not I'll I'll put any of it out, who not? But yeah, that's that's what I do musically, I guess. Stuff like that now. 
So, you know, you kind of, you know, we're just kind of talking about what you've been doing musically or not doing musically, I guess. Um, but what are you doing now? I mean, if you're not doing music and, and that's not your the main focus, what are you up to now? Uh, now I, I just, I work like a sucker. I work <laughs> nine to five like a sucker. I, I actually work for a preschool. It's like a federally funded preschool grant for low income families. Oh, wow. Here in Springfield, Mass. And I just, I do like all of their landscaping and construction and stuff like that. And I kind of take care of like 13 preschools. Oh, wow. And uh, it's it's quite a change of pace. I was going to say, what um, a stark contrast. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I used to be a psychopath and now I work at a preschool. <laughs> Somehow I think that actually lines up. <laughs> What what is the old saying? Those well, I mean, I know you're not necessarily a teacher, but it's like those who can't teach. <laughs> oh God, they have no idea. I'm surprised in the day and age of being able to to Google names and so forth that someone hasn't Googled you and been like, "Were you? Are you this person that was in this band?" Right. Uh, yeah, like I actually did. I had to write them, uh, like one of the big bosses. I had to write an essay, sort of explaining my record because they, when oh, when yeah. you get hired working at something like that, they ask you, "Have you ever been arrested? Have you ever done this? Do you have a record?" Like they do all these quarry checks and stuff like that. And I told them that I didn't have a record, and then during the hiring process when I went in. They're like, so, you know, we want to give you the job and this and that, but you told us you didn't have a record. I was like, yeah. And they're like, well, what about this? And what about that? And what about this? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, that. Oh, shit, that's right. I forgot about that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then I had to write this, like, long paper explaining everything. And I ended up getting the job, though, luckily. That's that's interesting. Uh, sounds like you you enjoy it though. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's a job, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's cool because like a a lot of the the kids there, unfortunately, don't have like strong male figures in their lives or any male figure in their life. So I get to really connect with them on that level. Like if they're outside playing on the playground, the second I go over there to say hi to all of them, they all, all the kids run over and they want to show me how high they can jump and how fast they can run and how hard they can punch and <laughs> all that sort of stuff, you know, like, <laughs> so it's, it's pretty cool. It's, that's like one of my favorite parts about the job. Yeah. Kids are, kids are interesting. Have you played anything for any of the kids? Like, you know, not like a show-and-tell type thing, but like a just noodling around on something during a, I don't know, like some, I don't know. Sometimes, like, it seemed like uh, whenever we'd have assemblies in school, you'd find, like, oh, this teacher apparently plays, like, or many teachers play instruments, and some right. are actually pretty decent, surprisingly. Yeah, not not really, just because they... They have like a pretty set schedule 
because that's one of the things a lot of these kids come from such chaos at home that one of the main things they focus on in the classrooms is keeping keeping a regular schedule like yeah routine exactly exactly so there's not a whole lot of room for like i don't know me coming in with a guitar and whatever plus i'm i'm always always busy i do all the the outside work for like 13 sites typically by myself oh wow so it's never ending (laughs) never ending (laughs) awesome um i guess uh last question for you where uh where can people find you (laughs) <laughs> and I guess if they want to follow a defunct band page. <laughs> um, I don't think there is a, a band page. I don't even know. Uh, I think it might be facebook.com slash Legia band. I think look that up real quick. So, right now, actually. Yeah. And I mean, who knows I, if, Maybe me and Keith will do something. We had actually gotten together like two years ago and with a drummer and started writing some new songs, but then we fell out of touch again. And uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll hit him up and see what he's up to, and maybe write some shit. Maybe play maybe a show. Some, Who knows? Maybe do an acoustic Legia thing. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> and you were right. It is a uh, Facebook.com Legia band. I mean, you got almost uh, you got nine thousand nine thousand followers or whatever the hell likes. I guess on this. Really? Yeah, and about seven people I know actually follow this page. Oh, nice. So, yeah, if, I mean, if people want to, if if there's any fans of the band out there, I guess you could follow that. And if we were to ever do anything, I guess that's where it would be posted. Hopefully. If somebody got around to doing it, I love. Um, hold on, I, what's up? This is great. I, I haven't looked at this page, uh, and it hasn't been updated since 2013. It says the last two posts. If you have, there's a tattoo thing of a uh, two girls with tat, like lyrics tattooed right on like on their hips and so forth. And it just goes, if you have one that's not yet up, email you Ryan Ligia at yeah. yahoo.com. The next one is Attention North Carolina Friends. Our guitar player Ryan has recently moved to your state. He's living right outside of Raleigh. Should have just put the address. So if you're anywhere in the area, show him some of that southern hospitality and help him make some friends. <laughs> it's like it almost I'm just like... about, man. Hanging out. <laughs> you know what it was? It was like more of a um I don't know if you know the story of the Grateful Dead at all, but I'm pretty sure they started out as a band that like just went around and sort of threw these acid parties. Okay. And they would be the band that played at these parties. And eventually, you know, they gave themselves a name and the parties got bigger and eventually they became the Grateful Dead and they were a band. And that's sort of what we did. Like sort of in that vein, it was just like, we were a, a, a hangout, group <laughs> that would just go and play like they were they were more like like hangouts than they were like shows a lot of times you know half the time everybody would be outside in the parking lot just having a good time yeah so that's that's what it was all about 
Well, I think uh, I think that's as good as any as a place to end this conversation. So I want to thank you again for uh, for doing this. It was it was a fun blast getting to kind of have some of the questions I've long asked myself and had conversations with with friends of like why the fuck didn't this band ever take off and what happened <laughs> twice. <laughs> well, I want to I want to thank you, man. I re- I really do. It means a lot that somebody still even cares to hear the story. You know, because I put a lot of time and a lot of effort into that band. So it's really cool to have the opportunity to talk about it. So thank you. I appreciate it. So that was my conversation with Ryan Ober of Legia. Uh, couldn't think of a more fitting way to uh, kickstart that interview than being hungover. Uh, we did that at the ungodly rock hour of uh, about nine in the morning. And I had closed down the bar and actually stayed at the bar a little bit past it closing. So I, uh, I definitely I didn't mean to do that. But all things considered, I couldn't think of a more fitting guest to have a hangover during half of the conversation. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it sounded a little rough. Whenever it first started, I was like, is he still like, did, is it like, is he drunk? And I was like, no, no, it's not drunk. He's too articulate for that. That was literally five minutes after I had gotten woken up and rolled out of bed. Five minutes from me doing that to starting the interview. That's insane. Yeah, well, you know, uh, you got to be a professional. I figure if, uh, you know, everyone else can put themselves together to have a conversation, then I should be able to as well. Hey, the whole point of the convo, though, was that they weren't professional. That that band, the band as a whole, and I even said it in the interview, and I, I, like, I just was flabbergasted. Like, I just, I couldn't even figure out a way to explain it, where it's just like, you exist, but you don't, and... I mean, it just baffles me in this day and age of like there being the internet to do anything and find out anything that you can't find out shit on this band. And even, you know, with him saying that the Wikipedia page shit is wrong. And it's like, so fuck, one of the only sources of stuff that there is isn't even correct. (laughs) Right. Like, they are such an anomaly. Like, it's almost like if you were in the know, then you never, then you never will know and you'll never be able to know. And I don't know if that's something cool or if it's kind of sad. I, I I don't know. I still, I still don't know how I feel about it because it's like, I know about the band and I love their music and everyone that knows about them loves them. But I just think about how many people could love them now, you know, 10, 15 years removed because they were good and they were kind of ahead of their time. They're do they were doing shit. That is what people are doing now. Yeah. Yeah, and like for being so innovative, they just had he just had kind of this like Yeah, we 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 played some shows and um you know, we did some I mean, we just wanted to get signed to a record label. You know, and it's just like so So blase. It, it, yeah, and you're like, yeah, I mean, and it's funny because I think he really meant that though, whereas a lot of people say stuff like that just to just to sound like a cool guy or something, you know. No, I I definitely definitely think everything this might be one of the most honest looks look back at a career I've ever I've ever heard and I have ever been a part of where the person was just like, "Yeah, we fucked away every opportunity we were given." And it's like multi- yeah. multiple times and you're just like the story of him being like, "Yeah, the label was like, "Okay, here's like the two-year plan to get you over to Europe." And they're like, "No, we're going to go with a 16-year-old kid on MySpace." <laughs> Who had to go back to school <laughs> two days into the tour? <laughs> like, uh, like I don't know. There's something ultimately that, you know, like I said, that was a sign of the times because the internet, you couldn't rely on as much shit on the internet as you can now. 
Right. So you, if you wanted something done, you just had to fucking do it. And that band was the prototype of if we're going to do it, we're going to do it. Uh, I don't know. Like, it's just so wild because, like, that that kind of a band wouldn't – I don't think they could exist now because I think they would just – with some of the shit Ryan has told me that they have done in their career that he omitted from the episode – Man, that this this legit would be inf- like Gigi Allen level infamous for some of the shit that they would do or have done. And hey, I like it when he's like he's like, yeah, we were basically just four Gigi Allens, and I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> that's yeah. rough. Yeah, it's so funny. It's but... really rough. No, I uh, I greatly appreciate Ryan taking the time to come on, and and I really hope uh, I'm gonna spoil something. Um, Ryan and I were texting after the interview, uh, and he was saying, actually, I'm going to pull up the text, and I'm going to read it verbatim. Um, so if Ryan doesn't want me to do this, well, he can tell me after the fact. Um, <laughs> um, he basically said, because I was trying to get him to, I put out a tweet to have him maybe, Doc Coyle, have him come on the X-Men podcast, because I couldn't think of a way better person to be on the X-Men podcast than, than Ryan. Um, but he ended up writing and I go, Hey, got the ball rolling. Hopefully something comes of it. So if he reaches out to you, hopefully you can get on his show. It'll be, it'll do way more for you than being on my show, uh, or our show. But, um, I said, and he writes back, it's such a weird butterfly effect because now I have this motivation to try and track Keith down. Thanks to you. Who knows? Maybe him and I link up, write another Legia record all because of you. That'd be nuts if it came full circle like that. And it's, it's just one of those things like, I, I, like I, my mind wandered to the the what if scenario, and I was like, "Can you imagine if Legia puts out a record? You know, they get signed to a smaller label or whatever, put out a record, do some touring, and then you know Ryan and Keith do some some interviews or whatever, and people are like, so what? What was the catalyst for getting the band back together? And he's like, "I shit you not, I was on a fucking podcast because someone found me on to Return to the Pits <laughs> photos, <laughs> yeah. and that was the catalyst for getting the band back together. Like, I just have, so honest, yeah. Has that happened? Can you think of a band that got back together because they were on a fucking podcast or an interview? Not that I can think of. Like, like not not that they gave straight up like that was the reason. A lot of bands, whenever they try to get back together, will start reaching out to whatever media sources they can. It's not very often that you would just like talk to somebody and be like, you know what? Yeah, let's we'll go ahead and get back together. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just that's very odd. Um, but, you know, I, w- I, w- I would expect nothing less, you know. That'd be pretty tight. Yeah. I said we could get executive producer credits uh, on that record. <laughs> oh, 100, 100%. Yeah. Uh, speaking of 100%, um, and speaking of Legia and drinking and being hungover, I'm currently, I bought a couple of different beers for uh, the next couple of podcasts we're going to be doing. Uh, I reached out and did a completely different kind of beer. I've been staring at this can, which I'm going to show Dan and potentially whoever's watching. It's beautiful. It's got like green slime at the top of it with like a river of blood. Yeah, it's a volcano. Yeah. Erupting. Okay. It's weird. I, I'm only looking at a little tiny window. That's true. Um, yeah, I mean, you can blow me up to be half the screen size or yourself. I never do that. And it's all about you. Um, but Always. this is, I, I might get this wrong. Um, so the, the company is called Omni Pollo. Pollo? So Omni Chicken. Okay. Uh, yeah. They're brewed out of Boston, Massachusetts. This is called Shabloing. Okay. Again. Shabloing. It is a mango s'mores 
IPA. It's brewed with marshmallows, graham crackers, salt, and lactose sugar with mango and vanilla added. It's a 7% uh, alcohol. And uh, obviously I was drinking this before we started the episode, but uh, I was expecting... The graham cracker, basically the s'more aspect of it kind of really intrigued me. And so I was like, okay, like I've been doing these like kind of milkshake IPAs lately or something with lactose in it. So um, definitely intrigued me. And this is one a couple episodes ago I might have been talking about some beers that were like five bucks that were dissuading me from getting them. But uh, this was a $5 beer and I finally was like, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to get this. Admittedly, it just tastes like a mango IPA, and it's yeah. good. It's it's a it's a nice light IPA with a nice mango flavor. It's refreshing. Um, on the s'mores end, definitely doesn't deliver. I don't taste any hint of salt. I don't taste a hint of graham cracker, vanilla, none of that shit. I don't <laughs> taste any of it. Um, but I would definitely get this again uh, if they were running a sale on it, or if it were more reasonably priced around the two to three dollar area. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely the can's cool. Uh, like I said, it's a completely different beer company I've never heard of. There's a handful of other beers that they have that uh, I was looking at too. Um, but I, you know, in in light of uh, what we've been talking about of just trying different things and even kind of branching out of your comfort zone of your, you know, I like Founders, I like Bells, I like you know something that you're you're local and you know, step out and try something different. So with that in mind, what have you had? Uh, well, I've been going back to one of my staples, which is called Dark Matter, and it's a wheat porter made by Logboat uh, Brewing, and it's kind of like a more like uh, malty beer, uh, but it's got a lot of a lot of wheat in it. Um, it's unfiltered, as far as I can tell, and uh, it's got like a little bit of chocolate and coffee in there. Um, it's, so it's not great on the middle of a hot day, but I haven't had one of those in months. So or a hot day in months. Uh, so <laughs> I don't really have to worry about, I don't really have to worry about that, but, uh, it's really good. And it's actually really good to eat. And this is going to sound crazy, but like, I love drinking a dark matter with, uh, like a kit, one of those like king size Kit Kat bars. It's like the perfect combination of flavors. Interesting. Well, kind of in wrapping up, uh, if you would like to keep up with Ryan, well, you can find him at his name, Ryan Ober, or more simply at Facebook.com slash Ryan Ober 2. Um, if you would like to find Legia, you can find them at Legia Band on Facebook. They don't have an Instagram and they don't have a Twitter, which shouldn't surprise anyone. And if you go to the Facebook page, uh, as I said, they haven't had a post since 2013. Um, so you're not going to see anything there other than maybe the post of this episode. And uh, if you would like to find Ryan on Instagram, you can find him at com. A-V-I-A, Comiva, Comiva, I don't know how you pronounce that, but however that is, C-O-M-A-V-I-A, it'll be in the show notes. Uh, Dan, where can people find you? You can find me on Facebook under Daniel Terry, you can find me on Twitter at DiscussMetalDan, and you can actually find me at DiscussMetal.com on my other podcast. And if you would like to keep up with MetalNexus.net, you can do such at that site that I just mentioned. Find them on Facebook at MetalNexus, Instagram at Metal.Nexus, and Twitter at Metal underscore Nexus. If you would like to keep up with our show sponsored, The Bean Bastard, you can find them at TheBeanBastard.com. Go to Instagram and Facebook at TheBeanBastard. And if you would like to keep up with the podcast, you can find us on everything simply at BrewSpeakPod. And you can email us at BrutallySpeaking at gmail.com. So for this episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast, I am John. And I'm Dan. We'll talk to you guys next time.